Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he gave us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. One time while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats there along the lake shore. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Jesus got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. He sat down and began teaching the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered him, Master, we worked hard all through the night and caught nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets were about to tear apart. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For Peter and all those with him were amazed at the number of fish they had caught. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, Have no fear, from now on you will be catching people. After they brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the gospel of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if we don't start doing jumping jacks before the worship service, we're going to lose members and our church is going to die. We'll never bring any new people in. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if we don't stop doing jumping jacks before the worship service, we're going to lose members, we're never going to bring new people in, and our church is going to die. Throughout history in the Christian church, there's been plenty of fads, if you will, in which people say these things. And I use jumping jacks as an absurd example, so I'm not picking on anybody. But the truth of the matter is, brothers and sisters in Christ, there are times, for example, if we're not showing God's love to other people, we might be proclaiming what we need to do otherwise, but our actions are shooting us in the foot, aren't they? So there's some wisdom to these things. But in today's text, we see what really puts people into the Lord's kingdom. Now, verse 10, the second half, if we translate the Greek verb very literally, says something a little bit more than what we can translate very well into English. Jesus said to Simon, Stop being afraid, from now on you will be catching men alive. See, normally when you catch fish, you bring them into the boat, and they can't breathe anymore with the apparatus God created for them, and they die. In today's modern fishing, lots of times to keep those fish fresh, they have a live well which forces water through their breathing apparatus, through their gills, so that they stay alive, at least to get to the shore where they'll die so we can consume them. But Jesus makes it clear you're catching them for life, to keep them alive. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lord has a live well. That live well is eternal life. And it's not necessarily a local congregation. It's the invisible Christian church that's made up of everyone who trusts in Jesus for salvation. And so as we look at the famous text today about being called to be fishers of men, we'll answer the question, how do we get people into the Lord's live well? And to answer that question, let's look and see exactly what our Savior did. One time while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. What did Jesus do? He proclaimed the word of God, and he himself is the word. He's the spokesman of the Trinity. But the crowd was pressing in on him. It was getting uncomfortable. And those bodies, if you've ever been in a crowded room, they start absorbing sound. And he wanted them to hear the word. That was what is important. So he got into a boat and set a little ways offshore. Now he would have a pulpit, and the waters would give him a nice surface that would not absorb the sound of his voice, and the crowd would be able to hear it. 
So we're told he saw two boats there along the lake shore. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Jesus got into one of the boats which belonged to Simon and asked him to put out a little from the shore. He sat down and began teaching the crowds from the boat. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're not told what his message was for that day, but we're told he gave the message. Now, the four Gospels have recorded many of Jesus' messages or the core of those, and we can boil down all the teaching of the Bible really, to two messages. The first is the law. Now, if you want to know what the law is, that's summarized by the Ten Commandments, all those thou shalt nots. The Ten Commandments tell us what holiness is. We need the law, brothers and sisters in Christ, because the law condemns us of our sin. It shows us that we in our natural condition are unholy. As Isaiah in chapter 6, when he stands before the Holy Lord, when he's called to be a prophet, all he can say is, Woe to me, I'm ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips. That's what the law does to us. But then, there's the good news that even though we can't live to God's level of holiness in our natural condition, God became a man and he did it for us. He took on human flesh for us. And in order to remove our sin... He died on the cross, and in order to put us in his life well, to give us eternal life in that invisible church, he rose victorious from the dead for us. The gospel makes one demand. It demands that you believe it, and Jesus sends his Holy Spirit, working through that very message of the law that condemns us, shows us that we're sinners, that we're, that we're in trouble, and the gospel that tells us you're saved, God did it for you. The Holy Spirit works to convince us of that message. He, in other words, he gives us faith. So Jesus proclaimed the law and the gospel. Now, let's go back to our analogy. If we don't start doing jumping jacks, we're going to die, right? There's been always, in the New Testament church, even in the Old Testament church, there's always been one of two temptations when it comes to following what Jesus did, proclaiming his law and proclaiming his gospel. The first temptation is called antinomianism. That's when... We forget that the law exists. We don't care about God's holiness anymore because we're saved. The reasoning is, Jesus died on the cross for me. He's removed my sins. Therefore, it, the law doesn't matter anymore. Now, the law no longer applies as a means of salvation, but it still shows us what holiness is. So a very good example of this comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. A man knows his sins are forgiven. He gets it. Christ died many years ago, from the time that the Epistle of Corinthians was written, and he so he reasons, the sins I'm going to commit tomorrow, Christ's already forgiven. So I'm free. And he starts having sexual relations with his stepmother, and he's bragging before the congregation, and he's bragging around the city of Corinth, look at the freedom I have in Christ. Even the unbelievers knew that was wrong. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that man was an antinomian. It's very easy for Christian churches and Christians in, in fishing for men to want to ignore the law. Because nobody wants to hear that they're unholy. Nobody wants to hear that in and of themselves they're going to hell. Nobody wants to hear that in and of themselves they can't earn their salvation and they're in trouble. But if we don't proclaim the law, then we're in trouble. Let me give you an analogy. The law shows us our sin. It gives us instructions. If I were to find a man who lived in the middle of a desert his whole entire life and he had a very small well that gave him just enough water for the day, never did any fishing, never saw a large body of water, and suddenly take him to the sea and give him a great fishing boat, would he know how to use it without instructions? No. 
Would he appreciate the nets and the outrigging and the things he would use? Would he know how to run that live well? No, he probably wouldn't even understand what it was for. And he probably, if he set out to sea without sinking, would complain about things like the color of the upholstery isn't what he likes. Because he wouldn't know better. If we forget to proclaim the law, if we decide to not proclaim the law, people are never going to understand that they need to be saved. And if they don't understand that they need to be saved, telling them God has taken on human flesh and saved them is not going to mean anything. But then there's the opposite mistake that people tend to make, and that's called legalism. Now, they use the law as the motivation that only the good news of salvation in Christ can give us. Let me give you an example that we often see with people who were born to Christian parents. Mom and dad, meaning well, give them law motivation to go to church. You go to church because you have to. You go to church because that's what God wants you to do. And they're right, but the motivation there is the law. And so the children get older. They say the sermons are boring. They're not what I want to hear. They don't do jumping jacks before the worship service. I'm not going to go there anymore. The gospel motivation for going to church is it is here that God reassures us every week of the forgiveness of sins. It is here that every week, because we're bombarded by a sinful world and our sinful nature gets its sucker punches in on our new man, it is here that God strengthens us for the battle, refreshes us, and reassures us that we're still in his live well. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, how do we get people into the Lord's live well? We do what the Lord himself did. We proclaim his law and we proclaim his gospel. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, the next thing that happens in our text, we're told in verse 4. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered him, Master, we worked hard all through the night and caught nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, the Greek word that gets translated here is master I kind of like it a little bit better as boss. Now, we can say boss in a disrespectful way, but I've worked for people, for employers, who say, I want you to do this. And out of respect for them, I say, you're my boss. Okay. Now, Jesus wasn't a fisherman. Peter knew that Jesus was raised by a carpenter. So his vocation was carpenter, right? Boss, what you're asking doesn't make sense. But at your word, I'll do it. What a beautiful confession. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, Peter is an expert fisherman. He knows his craft. We fished at the best time and caught nothing. We fished in the best places and caught nothing. And now you're asking us to put out and do a kind of fishing that our fishing doesn't really work for. But you say so. You're the man. And what is the result? When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets were about to tear apart. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how do we get people into the Lord's life? Well, we do what Jesus did. We proclaim the good news of salvation. We proclaim the law and, and the gospel. But Peter followed the Lord's instructions. Following the Lord's instructions is not always easy. This is why we need faith. Jesus tells us, however, in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, If you remain in my words, you are really my disciples. You will also know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If we're busy focusing on silly things like jumping jacks, or whatever the fad is, then we're not proclaiming the truth. The truth is what sets people free and actually puts them in the Lord's live well. And so in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus, before he ascends up to heaven, tells the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, and he tells them how. 
by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and by teaching them to obey, not some, not most, not the most important things, everything I have commanded you. And that's the trick, brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the problem we have. If we make disciples by baptizing people, that doesn't make sense according to the world. Wouldn't the world say, let's use the best sales techniques. Let's figure out what messages have worked the best and stick with those. But pouring water on a baby's head? What's the use in that? The Apostle Peter on Pentecost Sunday said in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, Repent every one of you and be baptized, resulting in the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive a gift. And he tells you what the gift is, specifically the Holy Spirit. And then he says this promise is for you and your children. Maybe the way the world would go about it wouldn't be to proclaim baptism. How can baptism save? Because God just promised us, in the verses I just quoted, He promised us that you get the Holy Spirit. There are many times people have been tempted in the Christian church to water down the message or only focus on particular things. And certainly, we can't give everybody all the teachings at once. That would be like opening up a fire hose on somebody to give them a sip of water. But we can't do it denying one or failing to ever teach it. We've got to follow the Lord's instructions. The Lord's instructions are not the best sales techniques of the world. The Lord's instructions are what's contained in His Word. We call it doctrine. So we neither want to deny a doctrine or, or put it in the back seat all the time. We want to teach everything Jesus has commanded us. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a warning, and that comes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For there will come a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, because they have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in line with their own desires. They will also turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is a kind of fisherman that exists who's very, very successful. See, he doesn't go fishing in the sea. He doesn't go fishing in the lake. He goes to the live well. He goes to the local congregation where there's already believers and he puts the bait of what itching ears want to hear, and he throws that into the live well, and he brings fish out that are already in the invisible church. But he's done it by giving them what their itching ears want to hear. And sadly, the warning there is, he's taking them out of the live well. We don't go fishing for men in, that are already Christians. We go fishing to bring people into the Lord's live well. If we're going to leave a church... We want it to be because its teachings are not in accord with the Word of God. Not, not because of personalities and things like that. There's great success in fishing out of a live well because you're already catching fish that are caught. But brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're doing it at the expense of the Word of God, we're really just stealing, aren't we? And in fact, we can be stealing away from heaven if we're doing that by not teaching the Word of God in its truth and purity. This particular day, through the miracle of the Lord, Jesus wanted to teach Simon to follow his instructions and he'll bless it. So they caught a very large load. And what do they do with it? We're told in verse 7, they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both nets so that they began to sink. The proclamation of the word of God, the fishing for people to put them in the invisible church, was never meant to fall on any one of our shoulders alone. We come together to form a local congregation, that's a visible church, so that we can do that in our own communities and so that we can strengthen and encourage and help each other. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, 
It's also a wonderful thing when we join together with other congregations who, not at the expense of the Word of God and His teachings, but together teaching the same thing when we join together with them so that we can form training systems, so that we can train people to be experts in the Word of God, masters at handling it, at fishing. And they can then in turn train us as we go to our daily vocations at work. And in fact, we join together not just with other congregations, but we form synods or denominations that way. And we want to make sure the big thing is it's not at the expense of the Word of God. And as members of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, we've joined together so that we have a called worker training system. And as example of our congregation here in Casper, they sent somebody that other congregations funded to help us start a church here. Now we exist and we're able to give our offerings and a portion of the offerings we give today will not just help open missions in the United States. They will help empower missionaries to be in places throughout the world that we could never do on our own as a little congregation. And we join with other congregations. We call it our sister synod, the Evangelical Lutheran Synod, which came out of the Norwegian church. And we join with other synods throughout the world to do this. We follow the Lord's instructions, and part of those instructions is He's instructed us to work together, but never at the expense of His Word. Brothers and sisters in Christ, did you notice the difference in Peter's confession? He began by saying, Master, or, oh boss, you say so. But then what happens? Verse 8, Now after Simon, that is Peter, saw this, he fell down before Jesus' knees while saying, Depart from me, because I am a sinful man, O Lord. In fact, it wasn't just Peter's reaction. We're also told, For amazement engulfed him and all those with him on account of the catch of fishes that they had caught. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Simon has the same reaction of Isaiah, because by this miracle, Simon recognizes Jesus isn't just a great rabbi. He's not just a great prophet. He's God who's become man. And suddenly, the I'm a sinner part clicks in. This will be your and my reaction if we were to stand before the Lord as well. How can I do your work? I can't even stand near you. That's how Isaiah reacted. That's how Peter reacted. But brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus had done this miracle to show them that the power didn't rest on Peter. In fact, Peter would screw up more than once, wouldn't he? He would deny his Lord once. Later, the Apostle Paul would have to straighten him out when, when Peter himself became, what I mentioned earlier, a legalist returning to Judaistic practices, using the wrong motivation. But the power wasn't Peter's, it was God's. And that's the comfort for you and I, is to recognize it's God's power. We proclaim the word, we let him do the blessing. The Holy Spirit works through that word and he convinces people. Jesus is the one who we're connected to, so it's his power in the first place, and God the Father rules over all history. Left to our own devices, we remain sinners until we go to heaven, brothers and sisters in Christ. So we are going to screw it up. And that's why the comfort is it's in the Lord's hands. But he also gave him, as I already mentioned, those to help. And we're, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 12 through 20, the Corinthians were getting envious of each other's gifts. The Holy Spirit gave me this gift and he hasn't given it to you. I want to speak in tongues and be able to brag about it. And the Apostle Paul straightens that out. He says, if I'm not using my gifts, which are actually from God who's the true source behind him, if I'm not using them to build up his church, then I'm really not serving the invisible church. I'm really not serving the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the power isn't ours. And that's important to recognize. 
Because who is it that makes a baptism valid? It's God's Holy Spirit. It's God's Word. It's God at work through His Word. Who is it that assures you of the forgiveness of sins? He may use a human, but it's His Holy Spirit working through that Word to convince you and your new man that it's true. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, we can focus on things like how many jumping jacks we do. I'm making that up because I've never heard that one again. So nobody feels like I'm picking on them. But the truth of the matter is, the way that we really get people in the Lord's life well, that's the invisible church, that's where salvation is, we do what Jesus did. We proclaim his word. We teach the law and the gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ. And in order to do that, we don't go by the clever devices of men. We follow Jesus' instructions. We don't water down the teaching of his word or deny or ignore it or give itching ears what they want to hear. We follow his instructions because that's where he's at work and we recognize the power's not our own. We know it's Jesus' power. We know it's God's power at work through that very word. Amen. Now to him who's able, according to the power that is at work within us, to do indefinitely more than we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.